What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. I'm your host, Will Ferrero. On today's episode, we have Andrew Smiley of Smiley and Smiley. Andrew started working with his father, Guy, right out of law school and almost immediately started trying cases. I actually met Andrew because I was listening to a CLE that he gave through the New York Trial Lawyers Academy on how to litigate construction accident cases. And at the end of the episode, he was talking about how if you wanted to have a one-to-one with him to go to his website and sign up and, and do a 30-minute Zoom with him. And, um, you know, we, we logged on and he said, so what, what do you want to talk about? And I said, you know, there's really nothing in particular that I want to talk about. I, I just wanted to meet you. It sounds like you're doing great things and you love the Trial Lawyer Academy so much. So, you know, I, I'd love to hear more about that. I'd love to get more involved in it. And he told me, you know, it's very nice to meet you. You should reach out to my associate, Michael, and learn more about how you can get involved. So I did. And through that, Michael said, hey, you know, you could be on the associate board with us and uh, put on CLEs and special term, which is a um, which is a program that the Trial Lawyer Academy runs where they live stream summary jury trials. So I got involved with that and. You know, so far I've only been to a couple meetings, but I'm looking forward to getting more involved. So if there's a lesson there, it's, you know, if you see somebody that you admire that's doing good things and feel free to reach out and, you know, the worst that someone can do is ignore you, right? Um, but I, uh, I was very happy to meet him. He agreed to do the podcast. He shared a bunch of really cool insights about his work as a trial attorney, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. How's it going, Andrew? So nice to see you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know we've we've talked briefly before, but I'm interested to get to know you a little bit better today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Will. So can you just to get started, can you tell us a little bit about you and your law firm? Absolutely. So um, my name is Andrew Smiley. My law firm is Smiley and Smiley. And we are based in Midtown Manhattan, where we have been since my father, who is the first Smiley of Smiley and Smiley, Guy Smiley, founded our firm back in 1968. So we've been in operation for 55 years. And uh, all we do is plaintiffs, significant personal injury, medical malpractice, and wrongful death litigation. And that's all we've been doing for 55 years. I've been very active in the legal community here in New York City. Uh, I've held positions as the president of the New York State Academy of Trial Lawyers, the president of the New York City Trial Lawyers Alliance. I've been on numerous boards and screening committees. And uh, in the last several years, I've done a lot of lecturing for the Academy. I'm a master CLE instructor, where I've instructed to uh, thousands of lawyers on topics involving personal injury law, uh, medical malpractice, trial skills, I have a book out on Amazon that's doing really well. It's a bestseller called How to Successfully Litigate a Personal Injury Case. And I have another one coming out later this year on trial skills. And I also have a podcast, the Mentor ESQ Podcast, which is a podcast for lawyers. So I'm pretty busy. I like to do a lot of stuff. I like to be involved with the legal community and uh, lots of other stuff. So that's that's sort of the brief version of yeah, me yeah. and my firm, what we do. There, there's so much there. So hopefully we'll get into a, a decent bit of it in the next 30 minutes or so. But I, I always find it interesting when people work with their family. 
Um, and so growing up for you, was it always, I want to be a personal injury lawyer like my dad? I want to, I, my goal is to grow up and work with my dad one day? Great question. And the answer is yes, it actually was. I have one sibling, uh, my sister, who's just a year or so older than me, and she was never interested in going into um, the type of work that my father and now that I do. And I always was. My father would come home at the dinner table, talk about all the interesting cases. He'd take me out to the scene of accidents when he was doing his investigation and ask me my thoughts as a young child. And I just really found it fascinating. As I got older, I would uh, go to court sometimes and watch. And it was something I always wanted to do. So I'm one of the very few people that since as old as I can remember, as young as I can remember, I knew what I wanted to do. And I was able to continue uh, on the right trajectory to get to where I am today. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing to be to be that focused for so long. So like when you're going through law school, are you are you interning at, you know, your dad's firm in the summers and stuff like that? Exactly, exactly. So I went to Brooklyn Law School. I went to Tulane University undergrad in New Orleans, which was amazing. And but I wanted to get serious and focus and I knew I'd be working in New York City with my father. So I went to Brooklyn Law School, which at the time and still, I believe, was really, really well known for their trial advocacy program. Mm -hmm. And so I got very involved in moot court and running the trial program. I stayed on as an instructor uh, of law for Brooklyn Law School, coaching the national trial teams. And the whole time I knew I'd be working for my father's firm because I would have that platform to really hit the ground running when at the time, if you really wanted to get into trial work coming out of Brooklyn Law School, most of my friends who were also interested in trial work went to the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested in doing that as well. It was really sort of the fork in the road. I was like, nope, I'm going to stay, stay the course. And uh, that's what I did. Yeah. And, and so how soon after you started working there, you know, did you start sitting in on trials? Like, was it you had your JD in that summer, you're, you're going to trial or what? Actually, earlier than that. So I was second seating my father on trials when I was in law school. And wow. then I was sworn in, admitted to practice in January of 1997. I think the beginning of January. And later that month, I tried my first case for the firm. Wow. And uh, off and running, I went. And that was now almost two, almost three decades ago. <laughs> and so were you, were you first seating that trial when it was right after you got admitted? Yeah, it was an interesting case. I'll still remember it was the Margaret West case. Most people remember their first trial and it was yeah. in Brooklyn and our client, Margaret was riding a bicycle and uh, through an intersection and she collided with a car and she had sort of soft tissue injuries, meaning nothing really broken, you know, some sprains, some, mm -hmm. some herniated discs. And in the police report, it said driver vehicle says cyclist um, ran the light. Um, cyclist says she doesn't know what color the light was. Mm. So based on that, it was a very tough case. They didn't offer any money on it to yes. settle, obviously. And uh, I came out, you know, full of fire, fresh out of my trial program and law school, ready to go. And uh, I really worked it up and tried an amazing case. And uh, I was able to hold the driver in 66% at fault and my okay. client 33% at fault. The trial was bifurcated, which means it was tried on liability only first. And uh, and then we settled the case uh, after I got that verdict for a fair number. So I was really excited. And so do you still remember what, 
it felt like that first moment before you opened your mouth for the first time in trial? Absolutely. It still and, feels that way every time I try a case. Yeah. And what was what was going through your head? So it's butterflies. I remember turning to my father and saying, look, I've done a lot of this trial stuff in law school, a lot of trial competitions where we would compete nationally uh, against other law schools. Mm -hmm. And I felt very comfortable with it. I said, what's different in the real world than what I've been doing in law school? And he said, not much. And you're probably going to be a lot better than most of the lawyers that you face uh, based on the training and the programs you went through uh, in law school. And sure enough, uh, I was nervous, of course, and I'm still nervous, even as an experienced trial attorney who teaches other people how to try cases. I think if you don't have those nerves running, you know, in your stomach, those butterflies before the start of a trial, and obviously with time, my my trials and the significance and the damages became much larger, the yeah. stakes much higher. So um, yeah, I had butterflies, but even then and still now, once you get going and once you start your opening statement and come out strong and get your feet under you in that courtroom, then you're off and running. And that that was the feeling and it was, it was pretty exhilarating. And so for for people who might not be able to, you know, have that small firm experience where you're you're getting the experience right away, um, what what types of where where should people look to get you know, some, some practice and get some reps before it finally comes time. Cause I, I know, you know, because you're so involved. So that's a great question. If you want to get involved in trial work, if you really want to be in a courtroom and that's the type of practice of law that you want to be involved in, cause there's so many areas of law where you never have to step foot in a courtroom. But if you want to, if you want to be a litigator, if you want to try cases, you, your options are pretty small to start. Um, First off, you can apply to a prosecutor's office. So that would be the district attorney's office, the U.S. attorney's office. Uh, prosecutors will get a lot of action and, and be thrown into courtroom situations quickly. On the other side, where instead of prosecuting, you can defend cases. Many people will go to the public defender's office. Uh, either the federal public defender or legal aid society uh, where they're appointed. They're the lawyers who get appointed to indigent uh, mm -hmm. defendants who can't afford counsel. And you can really uh, get going and get a lot of trial experience doing that. So, you know, in the criminal law practice, there's a lot of opportunity in the civil world. Primarily personal injury law is the area where there will be the most trials the problem is that as a if you go into the plaintiff side, what I do uh, is that the firm, you know, you have to go to a firm that would be willing to give you a shot as a young lawyer. And not too many firms will do that, uh, but they may let you second seat a lot of trials, let you start taking witnesses and you can work your way up. Uh, on the other side, if you work in personal injury defense, uh, again, you could probably second seat the partners in the cases, mm -hmm. defending the cases, but it's going to be harder because the defense firms are hired by insurance companies and they may not want a new associate trying a case for them. They're going to want the yeah. seasoned partner. So you have to sort of explore options, see what interests you and give it a shot. Yeah. So when you, when you first started trying cases, your, your dad didn't say, you know, let me uh, sit and watch you or anything like that. He just kicked you out of the office and said, uh, go get him." No, he came. So he came to almost all my trials and he still comes to most of my trials. So what would happen is 
Uh, he usually sits in the first row, uh, the spectator row, as you know, but some of your listeners may not. There's what's called mm-hmm. the well in the courtroom, which is where the lawyer's tables are. And then there's a, a little barrier behind the lawyers. And then there's sort of the public seating. So my father would always sit in that front row behind me and uh, he'd lean over quite a bit. Andrew, Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> slip me notes. Uh, make some suggestions uh-huh. until finally he realized he didn't have to do that and he can just sit back and enjoy the show. But yeah, he would always come support. And it was really cool during my earlier years, maybe my first decade of trying cases when it was uh, like my summation would mm. come. I'd invite the whole office and family and friends and I'd pack the courtroom. They'd all come to watch me sum up. And I really th- sort of thrived on that. And so most of my family and friends have seen me on trial and uh wow. And, uh, you know, sometimes they'll come. People always ask me, let me know when you're on trial. I'd love to come watch. Yeah, you bring a cheering section. That's I don't I don't know many people who do that. (laughs) You know what it is? It's picture yourself being an accomplished gymnast and you go and you're doing the the routine on the high bar and you're swinging around and you launch into the air and you stick the landing. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't you want to turn around and see your friends and family there to cheer for you? Imagine if you did that and there was no audience. Yeah, to yeah, see yeah. What happened. That's always how I feel. You know, I feel really good when I try a case and uh, and I like being able to deliver a very strong closing argument. Usually they're about 40 minutes or an hour and I don't look at notes mm-hmm. and I'm very demonstrative and impassioned and uh, get emotion going. And so it's nice to afterwards have my friends and family to say, wow, that was cool. I really enjoyed that. And to see what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. So when did you go from doing the more, you know, it sounds like in the beginning, you might have taken more, more different types of cases. You were more, had a broader um, scope and, and now you're kind of dialed in on more significant injuries. What, what yeah. would you say is when did that happen first? And then how do you determine what's significant enough for you to take? That's a great question. And generally our firm were what's called a boutique practice. So we're five lawyers and we have a case list of maybe a hundred cases total, which Mm. is very small. That's why they call it boutique. Uh, Many, many firms will have lawyers that their individual caseload per lawyer is more than a hundred cases. So we made a decision a while back once I got into the firm and uh, my father was great. He really sort of was happy to step back and let me have a vision for the future. And he supported me in that. And he eventually started letting me just was happy to have me trying all the major cases and uh, and just being in the back to support me. And we realized that our energy was best spent on smaller volume, more significant cases, meaning there was surgery, there was hospitalizations, there's a death, there's big damages, there's permanent injuries, as opposed to some smaller cases um, that are maybe what's soft tissue. And in New York, uh, if there's no serious injury as defined by the insurance law, uh, even if someone's got herniated discs and they're in horrible pain in the auto accident, it's clear fault on the other, you can lose those cases under the law. And there's motion practice and you can spend a lot of time and energy on those cases and not really get a lot of return for your firm or the client at the end. Mm -hmm. So we decided let's refer out the smaller ones. Let's also refer out the mass torts. We don't do class actions or multi-district litigation. Uh, I've had the opportunity over the years to join up with colleagues of mine that do that type of work, Mm -hmm. expand our firm's practice into that. 
And I like to be able to return every email or every call from a client every day by the end of the day. And I said, how do you do that if you've got 2,000 clients that you're yeah. representing? Yeah. I, just, I didn't feel we're a very service-oriented white glove firm. Mm-hmm. And all of our clients have my email, my text, sell, everything yeah, 24-7. Yeah. And you can't do that. So that's how we decided to stay small. It's got benefits, it's got downsides, but um, that's a whole nother discussion. But that's ultimately how we got there. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have sometimes small cases. As you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you have a very big injury or a good case, but there's very limited or minimal insurance available. So uh, there's a lot of X factors that go into making a big case. Mm -hmm. And where where do most of your cases come from? Referrals. We mm-hmm. have done a lot of deep dive into data. We keep track of everything, uh, yeah. where the cases come from. We have a lot of sources. We have uh, cases that come in through the internet. People search us on Google. We have we do marketing. Uh, we're in New York City. We're on local television stations, and we've been around for a while. So uh, prior clients will refer other clients. Mm-hmm. People will see us by reputation or by research and come to us. But primarily, it's through referrals. Other lawyers who know what we do uh, and how we handle and manage cases and clients at a very high level and what what we bring to the table and our reputation, and they will refer cases to us or co-counsel with us on cases. And that's primarily where our, our cases come from now. Yeah. And since there's so many personal injury lawyers out there, and, you know, I think every lawyer probably knows one or multiple, you know, what do you do to become that authoritative figure that people feel confident in when they when they have a client that they just did real estate transaction for that now had this horrible thing? How do you how do you make it so that they think I got to go to Andrew right away? He's the he's the man for this. So you're right. There's a lot of lawyers that are out there now that handle personal injury cases. And it's much, it was much different when I started my career, you know, 25 plus years ago, and especially much different when my father started his career in the Mm sixties, you knew on one hand who the main players were. And there were times in New York where defense firms only defended cases. Now defense firms are taking in plaintiffs cases and, Mm. and everybody knows somebody. So, you know, what distinguishes us my firm it's smiley and smiley from many others is our our history we've been around since 1968 this is all we've done since then we have a reputation so by doing that for so long all of our adversaries know us all the insurance companies know us so uh we if we get involved in a case uh and a lawyer who doesn't have our background or reputation gets involved but maybe an excellent lawyer um they're not going to likely get the same results that we can just because they're not as well known an entity as Mm -hmm. we are uh we've tried cases we've gotten results and uh you know i've been very involved in the profession as you know I lecture monthly uh, through the New York State Academy. I average lecturing to about 500 to 800 lawyers a month. Um, I have a podcast. I have my book out there. I uh, I have one-on-one uh, Zoom meetings available, complimentary to all lawyers. So they just sign up on my Calendly link, which you could find at thementoresq.com. And uh, I'll, t- I'll talk about anything. And I like to help out lawyers. I believe that um, there's enough business for all of us. Mm-hmm. And um, and I like to open up my playbook in my lectures and make sure that 
people know what they're doing and they don't make mistakes and they can practice at the highest level because many lawyers haven't been taught the right way. And I grew mm -hmm. up learning through my father. So, you know, when you get involved with lawyers that way, they get to know you, they feel comfortable. And that's why uh, people come to me and my firm uh, because of that. That's and And again, different strokes for different folks. If someone feels better with a larger firm, they want to go to a firm with 50 lawyers, mm -hmm. um, that we're not the right firm for them. Uh, but so some people are looking for different things. So, you know, we don't get all the cases. Uh, there are many other good firms out there, uh, but we're the right fit for a lot of people. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and so how did you get involved, you know, at the start with the Academy of Trial Lawyers? I know that's something that you're, you're passionate about, former president, right? Yeah, um, I'm very involved. I'm on the board. I'm a past president. Uh, I I'm, I have a lot of fondness for the New York State Academy of Trial, Law Trial Lawyers. It's a great organization. So I was I got involved very early with my father's support in many of the trial organizations, the New York State Trial Lawyers, uh, the New York City Trial Lawyers Alliance. They were organizations he was involved in. So it was a natural fit for me to get involved and sort of take over his spots and then the academy actually started after I became a lawyer. It's a newer, wow. relatively newer. It's still been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once it started and I started to learn about it, I started to get involved and go to some of the programs they put on and meet some of the people. And uh, one thing led to another. I got to know some people. I got asked to present on some topics. And then I decided to, you know, I got invited to join their board after being a member. And then it just worked its way up. And then I rose through the ranks as a vi director, vice president, mm -hmm. and to president. So that's generally the path. Uh, that people do to get involved in these organizations. And I, I really recommend it to all lawyers, get involved in whatever organization you'd like to and join as a member and then just work your way in and get more and more involved. Organizations love to have people who are interested to, to, to get involved, to lecture, to be on boards, to be on committees. And, uh, and it's very worthwhile. It's a great way to network and uh, hold positions of authority. Yeah, and you have uh, you have a couple multi-part, you know, series on there. I know that I listened to how to litigate a construction accident case, which was very thorough, very informative. And then you also have how to litigate a, a medical malpractice case, and then just generally personal injury as well. Yeah. So thank you for uh, attending that. And what I thought is, and it has turned out to prove uh, valuable to uh, many lawyers out there, is instead of having one off, just a one one hour, two hour continuing legal education or CLE program on a specific topic. It's to have a series and really have a repetition. And so I came up with this idea, actually, with the help of my associate, Michael Solomon. Shout out to him. He's the mm -hmm. current chair of the associate board of directors and excellent young lawyer. And um, Michael said, why don't you do a whole series where you could really people can come back each month and continue to learn. So we started off with the topic of how to successfully litigate a personal injury case. And I made it a six part series. Mm -hmm. So it was once a month for an hour and a half. And yeah. part one was the intake. You get that call. What do you do? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and part two was the investigation. Part three was the summons and complaint and how to file and started. And I we went through discovery and depositions. So it ended up being six parts. So it took you from the beginning all the way through to trial and verdict. And I would put materials, 
stuff from my own cases, my letters, my documents, my forms, my transcripts, my outlines. And people are saying, why are you sharing everything? You're giving your playbook away. Aren't you worried yeah. people are going to use it against you? I still get asked that. I said, no, uh, no, you know, just because I give you my outline, you know, and show you the right way to work up a case. We all bring our own style, creativity, intellect mm -hmm. uh, to a case. So it got such a great response that I said, all right, I'm going to do one on medical malpractice. I'll do one on a construction accident. I'll do one on a catastrophic automobile accident. So I've been doing these series and I've gathered a bit of a following. Uh, people know I, I tell it to them straight. I try to explain things in simple terms. Uh, I, I don't talk in uh, highfalutin terms and I don't profess to be the expert on anything. Yeah. I just, I share what I know and mm -hmm. it helps people great. And, uh, and I'm happy to do it. Yeah, and I think seeing those, you know, forms that you use and the letters that you send is is so helpful because there's only so much that you can really you don't get the full picture by just looking at the court file or the the decision on Westlaw or Lexis, you know. So the the more seeing everything it makes it makes you learn a lot more. I feel like. Yeah, it's just it's always nice to have a good sample of something to work off of. And as lawyers, especially if we're practicing in an area that is relatively new to us, um, we may not have access to uh, something. So if someone hasn't really tried a medical malpractice case or a personal injury case, uh, they may be searching all over to find, you know, a sample complaint for an auto accident or for a mm. medical malpractice case or a construction accident case. So for me to be able to provide that and give them that jumping off point or something that they can tailor to their needs, which I say, here it is, use it, modify it, uh, you know, do what you yeah. want with it uh, is really helpful. I think as lawyers, we always are appreciative to, to be given tools. At what point in your career did you start to get more involved in the business of law where you're helping to, you know, run uh, a small law firm? Pretty early on, actually, I became sort of the managing partner of my firm. So I joined it in the fall of 96 officially. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 2001, I took over the management responsibilities. And it was an interesting time back then because the internet was really just getting underway. Cell phones were just getting underway. And, you know, AOL was the big thing. Uh, it was before people had, you know all the the internet access and before google existed and before yeah. e-filing and um everything was done by hand and so uh you had to have some vision and for people who at that time were in the latter part of their practice like my mm -hmm. father and others it was very hard to wrap their mind around the internet and internet yeah. marketing and a website and you know all of that so uh my father is very supportive in understanding that we had to have a vision for the future and continue to evolve and work towards that. And we're still, we still continue to evolve. I think any business owner, law firm or otherwise always has to move the dial forward and come up with new ideas uh, and keep things fresh and interesting. And was that ever something that you contemplated growing up, watching your dad try these cases? Like you, I know you wanted to go out and be the one in front of the jury, but did you ever stop to think, you know, that he was also running a small business at the same time? I didn't. I really didn't. And my father had a partner for a long time 
who retired in 2001. That's when I stepped in and became in the firm, used to be known as Smiley, Schwartz, and Captain. And mm-hmm. my father's main partner was a man named Leonard Schwartz. And he was sort of the inside guy running the office mm-hmm. as much as possible, taking care of all of the internal office needs. And my father focused on working the cases and trying the cases. And then when I came in, I became sort of that hybrid and I still am where I run the firm and I try the big cases for the firm. Uh, and I just sort of learn the business on the fly. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy it. I, I started to enjoy learning about marketing. I still enjoy marketing. Uh, and, uh, and just learning, you know, how to use technology mm. uh, to to better your business, and um, I sort of fell into that part of it of being a business owner, which is very interesting. Yeah, did you ever take any marketing classes, or was it your first exposure was was real life, real real business? Yeah, great question. I just um, just real life learning on the fly and. I think one of the important things about being a leader and being a business owner and being successful is surrounding yourself with great people and great people to support you and be your team, your support team and bounce ideas off of. And I've always been fortunate to have my partners, my father, my wife uh, around me. And I have a gentleman uh, named Brian Cristiano who runs a global marketing firm and he and I knew each other Back when I did my first commercial, he helped me with it. And we sort of grew up together and our businesses grew together. And I meet with him weekly now. He is my uh, right hand and we brainstorm ideas and we implement them. And uh, without all of this support, I wouldn't be able to do all these things. So I'm very fortunate to have good people around me who coach me and guide me and who I can learn from. Is there, is there a... A side that you prefer over the other, the small business owner versus the uh, the trial attorney? You know what? It, they each have their moment. Uh, I'll give you that. Um, I don't necessarily prefer one over the other. I enjoy variety. I can never be the type of person to be in an office just sort of doing the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, personal injury law by its nature, you have so many different fact patterns and types of cases and types mm-hmm. of clients. And I've got so many different business things going on and different marketing things that I just enjoy it. I enjoy having something different each day. Every single day of my career has been a new adventure uh, and uh, it has its ups and downs, which can be tough when it's the down moment, but the ups are great and the variety you know what they say, right? Variety is the spice of life. And I believe yeah. that. <laughs> Do you think, can you put a number on how many cases you've tried at this point? I don't know if I can. Uh, I've probably tried north of 50 cases, mm-hmm. um, somewhere around there. There are many lawyers who try that many cases in a year. Um, again, because we're a boutique operation, 95% of our cases resolve. Yeah before having to be tried because we screen our cases heavily. We're not a volume firm. Mm -hmm. So the lawyers who try a lot of cases, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases, um, you'll have defense lawyers and all they do is try the cases for their Mm -hmm. firm. They're the trial person. So they'll go, they'll try, you know, case after case, several trials a month. Um, Then you have certain lawyers who are just trial lawyers. They just stay in court and get the file and try them all the time. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't enjoy that either because when I try a case, I put my everything into it, my Mm -hmm. heart, soul, all of my mental energy, 
all of my passion, all of everything. And it just drains me completely. So I can never go from one trial to another. So these days I'll try maybe one case a year. Um, it'll work out that way. And usually it's a, a big case with big stakes. And so I will just gear it up and uh, and go for it. And, and I find that to be rewarding, the, the, the cases that have to be tried. Uh, otherwise, uh, maybe my associate will try it or... Mm. Um, or we just don't have it as much, but I've, I've, I've seen most of what what's out there and I've tried every type of case in the personal injury world. Well, what would you say is your most memorable moment from a trial? Do you have one in particular that sticks out? You know, I've had a lot of interesting moments. Uh, one moment that I really enjoy reflecting on, uh, and I've had a lot, a lot of interesting stuff happens in trials. But one moment that I fondly look back on, it was an oral surgical malpractice case. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's try and keep this as short as possible. Early on in my career, one of the cases that my father asked me to try was also a no offer, what we call a no pay case. Mm -hmm. Client went for uh, to have a, um, a, an implant, a dental implant put in, and it ended up hitting a nerve uh, in the jaw, and she ended up with a permanently numb lip. Mm. And they said it's a risk of the procedure. So we go to trial, and I end up trying a really good case. I got a big verdict, and I won the trial. And it made big news in the local lawyer community because these are tough cases. Yeah. So all of a sudden, everybody starts referring me these cases. Uh -huh. And they're very tough cases. To this day, I don't really like them because it's a flip of the coin. It's either considered a risk or it's considered malpractice. Yeah, it's very yeah. tough. So I ended up getting one of these cases and I thought it was a very strong case. Uh, but again, they took a no pay position. Mm -hmm. It was in New Jersey and it was out of my wheelhouse. Uh, I never tried a case in New Jersey. So I got admitted to try it. Uh -huh. And uh, I go and I try the case and the defense expert gets on the stand and I had prepared very well for this expert's cross-examination. And as I'm sort of making my points with the expert, I start to see the beads of sweat. <laughs> as I continue on, the expert physically starts to sort of lower into his chair and literally and physically starts to sort of shrink down. And it was just the... the it was so exhilarating for me when I, I left the courtroom that day uh, after that cross-examination to actually see that your level of preparation mm -hmm. um, for a cross-examination can have that kind of impact and really turn turn the, the tables on on a case. And, and, and so is that because you, you caught him lying or you just you just picked apart his report and showed the jury that he wasn't he wasn't credible? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And um and those for me are really fun moments because experts are fair game, in my opinion. You know, a lay person that you're cross-examining, you don't really want to beat up on lay people. People yeah. make mistakes, whatever it is. But if someone is holding themselves out, all right, you pay me, I'll come into court and testify for you as an expert. Yeah, they are they are fair game. <laughs> and the way I prepare, I will find things that they've lied about. I'll find things they've testified to in prior depositions. Mm. I'll find things they've done in their practice that they're saying you shouldn't do in this or they never uh. would do. And I don't remember the exact specifics, but I know I had them. And um, and when you know you have them and you sort of lead them down that path, 
mm-hmm. it's just great. And fortunately, you know, that's sort of uh, one of my one of my very uh, good skills in in a courtroom. And uh, I preach in all of my lectures about preparation, and that can really make a difference. So I remember a lot of my cross examinations, specifically of experts and how they went, and uh, and the impact that those cross examinations had. So I, I got one last question for you before we sign off. Okay. What what advice would you have to a young litigator? Maybe they're they're they second sat a couple things or they're they're doing their first direct or cross or opening you know what what piece of advice would you give to that person all right first piece of advice would be um get my book coming out on trial skills or listen to my podcast i do one on every element of a trial and it really will help walk you through the steps to take to prepare the behind the scenes preparation that's 75 percent of of being skillful in a trial and in a courtroom. The delivery comes after that. So study, prepare, take your time in advance, ask a lot of questions. Ask questions of a mentor if you have one. If you don't seek one out, reach out to me. I'm easy to find. Google me and and do a one-on-one, but find someone who you can ask questions of. When you get to a courtroom, don't be afraid to ask questions of the judge or of your adversary. What's going on here? How does this jury selection work? I find that many young lawyers are so nervous that they're going to appear to be inexperienced or naive that instead they don't want to ask a question and look silly. And I always say, I've been doing this a long time. I teach this stuff. I'm always asking questions Mm -hmm. because every judge is different. Every courtroom is different. Every county is different. So prepare and ask questions and you'll do great. I I think that's great advice. Um, Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I'll, uh, you know, where, what, where can we find you? What, what can we plug? Give me your last, uh, I appreciate that. So you can, you can Google me, Andrew Smiley, attorney in New York. My firm's website is Smiley Law, S-M-I-L-A-W.com, S-M-I-L-E-Y-L-A-W.com, smileylaw.com. That's my law firm site, my mentor site that has all my podcast episodes, video, audio, and lots of information that's helpful and how to do a one-on-one. That's the mentor, E-S-Q.com. And you can uh, get all my contact information from both of those. Thanks again, Andrew. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully I can come back and we can talk more. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Please like, review, and subscribe so we can help the channel continue to grow. And if you're interested in connecting with any of the guests, please let me know and I'd be happy to make the introduction.